By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Amen? Hey, give God a hand clap. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that in our imperfection, you worked to do a marvelous, amazing thing, which is to show your love for us. And scripture tells us over and over again, God, that we are not lovely. Yes, we're made in your image, but sin has marred that image, and we are sinners who love our sin, yet you loved us anyway. And we thank you for the gift of Christ. You love the world so much that you gave him. What a perfect gift that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for loving us first so that we might love you back. And all those who love Jesus say amen. Amen. Oh, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. It's so good to be with you on this Lord's Day as we get closer and closer to the Christmas season. Let me remind you, next Sunday is a special Sunday, okay? We're going to, um, it, it's essentially the one, if you have friends and family that you're planning to invite to Christmas, you have two more Sundays left after this one, okay? You've got the 17th and you've got Christmas Eve Sunday morning, okay? So, Next Sunday would be a perfect opportunity for you. If you have a friend that is sort of on the fringe, maybe they're searching, maybe they're, they're curious about Jesus, next, next Sunday is going to be a really neat opportunity because there's going to be a lot of, 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 of preaching through music next Sunday. Our choir will be up here. It'll be their Christmas uh, time to share as a choir. That's going to be next Sunday. And then I'm also, the Lord has, has put on my heart a, 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 what I believe will be a powerful devotional that'll get right to the heart of who God is and how much he loves us. And so please, it's one thing, we're going to send out um, invitations to all the new people within a 15 mile radius, all right, that we, we, we subscribe to a, a service that lets us do that. So we're going to send out a, an invitation to them this week to, to come and be with us. But I want to tell you right now, your invitation personally is way more powerful Okay, so please, next Sunday is, I mean, it, I, we're not calling it a fill the pew Sunday, but it's a fill the pew Sunday, okay? So please, friends, family, neighbors, it would be great to have them here with us. And then, of course, on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, so, so 24th of December falls on a Sunday, okay? That, that morning, all we will have is the worship gathering. There will be no Sunday school that morning. And there'll be nothing in the evening, okay? You say, well, I thought we were supposed to have a Christmas Eve service that night. We're going to have our Christmas Eve service that morning, all right? Well, aren't we going to pull out candles? We were supposed to pull out candles and sing Silent Night. 
when we turn the lights off in here, it's going to be just as dark <laughs> as if it was 8 o'clock that night, okay? Promise you, all right? And so, yes, we're going to have the candles on Christmas Eve and everything, all right? It's going to be beautiful. But anyway, I'm so thankful to be here with you on this Lord's Day. Grab your copy of God's Word, and let's go to Isaiah 7. Isaiah chapter 7. One day, a, a state trooper, he was parked on the side of the road, and he was waiting to catch speeding drivers. I know none of y'all never do that. To his surprise, what caught his eye was not a speeder, but a car that was puttering along, doing only 22 miles an hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. And although the driver definitely wasn't speeding, he had seen a few Cheech and Chong movies <laughs> back in the day, and so he, he knew there was something nefarious going on there. And so he turned on his lights and he pulled the car over. Well, as he approached the vehicle, he was surprised to notice that it was actually five elderly ladies in the vehicle, and um, two were in the front seat and three in the back seat, and they were wide-eyed and white as ghosts. The driver was confused. Officer, I don't understand. I mean, I was going the exact speed limit on that sign we passed back a mile or two ago. What seems to be the problem? Well, the trooper looking a little bit sideways at him and trying to keep from laughing, he said to him, Ma'am, do you know what road you're on? You are on Route 22. That sign that you thought was the speed limit was the road number, okay? <laughs> you're on Route 22. Well, the woman just blushed with embarrassment. Thanked the officer for pointing out her error and pledged to pay better attention to the signs that were along the road. But before she left, he said, Look, look, I have to ask, is everything... Is everything okay in this car? Because y'all seem awfully shaken up. And she said, oh, sir, we're fine. We're fine. We're going to be fine here in just a few minutes. You see, we're on Route 22 now, but apparently we just get off Route 127. <laughs> so, beloved, guess what? You've got to pay attention to the signs that are around you. You have to interpret those signs rightly, Okay. They communicate very important information to us. And today in our text, we're pointed to one of the greatest signs that God has given us. Now, as we're coming into the Christmas season, I mean, signs are all around us. I mean, the Christmas season itself is full of signs. But today, we're going to focus in on the sign that is arguably the central sign concerning the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7:14 says this Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel Now many stumble over the idea of Mary's virgin conception or virgin birth of Christ in fact Theologian R.C. Sproul once pointed out that skeptics, to skeptics, he said, the story sounds too much like magic, too much like the sort of myth and legend that tends to grow up around the portraits of famous people. He went on to say the arguments against the virgin birth are many, and they range from the charge of borrowing mythical baggage from the Greek-speaking world to the scientific disclaimer that the virgin birth represents an empirically, unverifiably unique event that denies all probable quotients. Only theologians talk like that, don't they? <laughs> as far as it goes. But beloved, listen, we can throw all of the scientific books we want at this passage. 
But no science book will ever be able to explain this. Why? Because the birth of Christ, it falls out of the realm of the scientific into the realm of the miraculous. And we should not shy away from this truth. You should never be embarrassed to say, this was a miracle of God. In fact, we should embrace it. We should rejoice in it. Man, my God can do the impossible. You think the laws of nature, that he's, that he's prone to, to have to follow them? No, he made those laws and he can supersede those laws. Make no mistake about it. Jesus' virginal conception and birth, it's not only central to the story of Jesus, but it is essential to his saving work. Let me say that again. The virginal birth conception of Jesus is not only central to the story of Jesus, but essential to his saving work. You see, if Jesus wasn't conceived and born of a virgin, you and I are still dead in our transgresses, uh, our, our trespasses and sins. Because your salvation requires a Savior who is both truly God and truly man. And not only that, listen to this. Your salvation requires a Savior who is sinless. Not only never sinning himself, but also who does not inherit the guilt of Adam like we other human beings do. And so Jesus' virgin conception and birth is the key to both of those necessities. And we would all do well to see this sign of the virgin birth, to believe this sign, and to heed this sign. So let's look at the context surrounding this sign by looking at the storyline where this sign is first given to us in Isaiah 7. I want to hit you with four parts of the story and then move toward a thrust of the text this morning. First, the first part of the storyline surrounding the sign from God that I want you to see this morning is that Judah seemed to be in big trouble. Judah seemed to be in big trouble. You see, the sign from God was given to Judah in the midst of a great trouble. They were being attacked. The Bible says that they were under siege, and it didn't look promising. I mean, they were not going to pull this out if things kept up as they were. It was a heart-shaking, but also a heart-breaking situation because not only did they have two nations teamed up against their little bitty nation, but one of the assaulting nations was their sister nation, the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was teamed up with Syria to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. We read about this here in Isaiah 7, verse 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, if you remember your Bible history, a few hundred years earlier than this, King David and then his son King Solomon lived and, and, and ruled over a united Israel. All 12 tribes, all 12 provinces together as one nation. But after King Solomon's death, the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. A northern kingdom, which, which maintained the name Israel, 
but sometimes was called Ephraim. Remember what it said here? It said here that Syria is in league with Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom of Israel, all right? The northern kingdom of Israel. Now, now after that was after one of the tribes there of the northern kingdom there, but, but again, sometimes it was called Ephraim. And then there was the southern kingdom, which took on the name of Judah. Again, uh, one of the tribes. That was the tribe that King David was from. Now, the, the northern kingdom, it was always led by wicked kings. And here it's wicked king Pekah. He'd made an alliance with the powerful pagan nation of Syria. And together they had come to Jerusalem, to the capital of, of the nation of Judah, to wage war against it. And when Ahaz, the king of Judah, heard that they were coming, he and all of Judah, they shook with fear. They were, they were scared to death. So what would they do in face of this trouble? Well, that brings us to the second part of the storyline surrounding the sign from God where we see that Judah's king Ahaz, he planned a worldly solution to the trouble. Planned a worldly solution to the trouble. Now, this is not explicit in our text here. But the book of 2 Kings gives us more insight. I'm thankful for those historical books that go along with our prophetic books in the Bible that give us more detail and more context. 2 Kings gives us more insight into, ha into Ahaz's plans, and it helps us to make sense of Isaiah 7 here. So in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, 6, and 7, here's what we read. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel came up to wage war on Jerusalem and they besieged Ahaz but could not conquer him at that time Rezin the king of Syria recovered Elath of Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath and the Edomites came to Elath where they dwell to this day and here's Ahaz here's his plan here it is verse 7 so Ahaz sent messengers to, to Tiglath Pileser king of Assyria saying I'm your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Did you hear his plan? Beloved, notice who Ahaz is not calling out to save him. He's not calling out to God to save him. No, it's Tiglath Pileser who's, who he's called out to the king of Assyria to save them. He's thinking, well... If, if Israel is going to come and, and team up with powerful Syria, we're going to get an even bigger bully. We're going to team up with a powerful nation of Assyria. So he's trying to pull together this political military solution. And I know it's kind of confusing because Syria and Assyria, they, they sound like the same nation. But they're two different nations at that time. And Assyria was the greater political and military power. But as I read that, we, we have to ask, what about God? Why doesn't Ahaz turn to God? I mean, he completely ignores God and the power of God. But to be honest with you, if you know anything about Ahaz, that's not surprising. You see, Ahaz himself, the king of Judah, was a wicked king. He didn't follow God. Now, Judah had some righteous kings. Israel never had any righteous kings after the split. But Judah had some righteous kings, but Ahaz wasn't one of them. He was not a man after God's own heart like David. Ahaz was known for sacrificing to false gods all over the nation of Judah. And in his depravity, it was so great that he actually, listen to this, he actually burned one of his own children 
as an offering to a pagan god. I mean, this dude's heart was dark. So it, it should be no surprise to us that, that we don't see Ahaz get on his knees before God and ask God, God, deliver us from Syria, from Syria and, and Israel. He was a worldly man. And like worldly men do, he came up with a worldly solution reaching out to Assyria for political alliance and salvation. But third, look what we see in the text surrounding this sign from God that we want to give special attention to this morning. Here's the third part of the storyline. God, through Isaiah, he encouraged Ahaz to trust in a godly solution, even offering a sign. So God, he, he knew what Ahaz was planning. He knew the, the thoughts of his mind and the desires of his heart. He knew what he was working up, and he, he knew that Ahaz was ignoring him. Yet because of God's great grace, praise God for God's great grace, and because of God's covenant promise to Judah, God tried to bring Ahaz back to depending upon him. And so God sent the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz with a message of encouragement. Look at verse 3 in Isaiah 7. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now it's important to understand here that there was a reason that God wanted Isaiah's son to go with him. You see, the child's name was a message of hope from God itself. The boy's name here is Shir Jashub, which means in Hebrew, a remnant will return. In other words, although Judah may go through some hard times, God will not cast off his people. He wanted his son to be right there with him and say, hey, who, who's this with you? The king might ask, and he say, well, this is my son. This is my son. God will keep a remnant, basically. God will return a, a remnant. He was a reminder that the lineage of the house of David will go forth as promised. And so along with Shir Jashub, here is what Isaiah was to say to Ahaz. Look at verses seven, or, uh, chapter 7, verse 4 through 9. And to him, say this to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and, uh, and Syria and the son of Romalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Romalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It will not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Romalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So essentially, God is saying to Ahaz, there's nothing to worry about. I've got this. These two punk kings ain't nothing. right? It won't be long until King Rezin of Syria will be cut off and killed. And it won't be long until the wicked northern kingdom of Israel will be utterly wiped off the face of the map. Trust me, Ahaz. Have faith in me, Ahaz. If you're not firm in faith, 
you'll not be firm at all if you don't put your hope in me, Ahaz. You have no hope at all. What a gracious and kind word from God, drawing Ahaz back, but God didn't stop there. You see, he, he knew Ahaz. He knew Ahaz was a man of little to no faith. And so God says to Ahaz here in verses 10 and 11, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, trust me, Ahaz, and to help you trust me, ask for a sign. Any sign. I'll give you a sign. Ask anything. Make it as deep as Sheol, which is the abode of the dead. Or make it as high as heaven, which is the abode of God. Just ask it, Ahaz. It's yours. Again, what a gracious offer on God's part. And that brings us then to the final part of the plot line surrounding this sign from God where we see that Ahaz, number four, Ahaz ignored the offer. But God gave a sign of favor and protection anyway. Can you believe that? I mean, wouldn't you love the opportunity to get an unmistakable sign from God? I mean, wouldn't you jump at the chance if God said to you, ask for a sign, Collinsville. Make it as big and as outlandish and as miraculous as you want. You want a fleece on the ground to be dry while the ground around it's wet or vice versa? Like Gideon? Done. You want the shadows to go backwards on a sundial like the days of Hezekiah? Done. You want the sun to stand still like it did in Joshua's day? Done. Ask for anything Ahaz. Yet Ahaz's mind was made up. He wasn't going to trust in God. He was going to trust in his political alliance. And so he threw out false piety to God look at verse 12 but Ahaz said I will not ask I will not put the Lord to the test now that sounds really pious but it was not an act of faith beloved understand this when the Lord says that you need a sign guess what you need a sign you need a sign but Ahaz refused the sign but God in his grace essentially says this I'm going to give you one anyway. The kingdoms of Syria and Israel are no threat to you. And here's your sign. Look at verse 13 through 16. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now God goes on in the rest of the chapter to describe how in a few years he's going to discipline Ahaz with the very nation that he reached out to to try to save them. Assyria is going to come and discipline. They're first going to wipe the northern kingdom of Israel off the face of the earth. And then he's going to discipline the kingdom of Judah. And yeah, in the near future, these nations that Ahaz was worried about, that, that threatened his monarchy, threatened his nation, these nations, Syria and Israel, would be no more. So, 
we see the proximate fulfilling of this sign in the very next chapter. Just flip to the next chapter with me, Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to read down through the first eight verses. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet. This is Isaiah speaking here. The Lord said to Isaiah, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters. Belonging to Mahir Shalal Hasbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Je Jeberechiah, to attest for me. This is still Isaiah speaking here. And I went to the prophetess. And she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Meher Shalal Hasbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me. Again, because this people's refused the waters of Shiloh that flow greatly or gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all of his glory and it will rise over its channels and go back into its banks or over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah it will overflow and pass on reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your hand O Emmanuel this is the, the, the immediate fulfilling of the prophecy the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel you see Isaiah's wife and Isaiah's newborn would be this immediate fulfilling of the prophecy. She was an Alma in the Hebrew here, translated as virgin, but having the semantic range to mean actual virgin, yes, or to simply mean a young woman. You see, this wasn't Isaiah's first son with her, right? His first son went out to meet the king, remember, with him? But she was a young woman. And the child born to her was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But, but that wasn't his actual name. His actual name was Maher Shalal Hasbaz. What a name. <laughs> You'd have to come up with a nickname with a name like that. But that name meant something. The spoil speeds, the prey hastens which was prophesying again the destruction of Damascus and Syria and Samaria and Israel by the nation of Assyria. Again, it's a, it's a physical representation of the prophecy. Judah, you're going to be okay. Syria and Israel will not defeat you. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to show you favor and I'm going to protect my so that was the, the proximate, the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy. But, but we move forward now to 2023, some 2,700 years later. And we see that while this prophecy given to King Ahaz through Isaiah did indeed have approximate fulfillment, here's the really cool thing. It had an ultimate fulfillment as well. It had a, a much bigger, right, much more expansive fulfillment than, 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 than they realized. And we celebrate this ultimate fulfillment every year in Christmas. In fact, the next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 
we get further description of this Emmanuel child. And he's no ordinary baby. We read in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this, this child is not just a sign that God is with us. He is literally God with us. And so Isaiah's child, it was approximate fulfillment of this Emmanuel prophecy, but the people were looking for a greater fulfillment and that ultimate fulfillment came in the Messiah Christ and they finally get and we finally get what God had promised in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 through 25 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. Listen, here it is. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Literally, Yeshua. Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. Savior. God with us. Emmanuel. Savior. Jesus. Beloved, here's the fullest manifestation of the sign of God's salvation to Judah. 700 years later. He's saying, Judah, here's your Messiah Christ. But this sign in favor of salvation, it's not just to Judah. It's to every one of us. It's to all of humanity. You see, in Isaiah, here's the interesting thing. It wasn't an actual virgin. But here in Mary, it is a real virgin. She'd never known a man. Never been sexually intimate with a man. And after being told that she would have a Christ child, she said in Luke 1.34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel told her in, in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
of God. So, beloved, by the power of God, the Son of God, Jesus, both truly God and truly man, would grow in her womb. And while that child back in Isaiah was simply symbolic of God being with them, here in Jesus, God is literally with us. God the Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. That prophetic sign of the virgin given to Judah was ultimately about Jesus. Isn't God amazing? I mean, when he does these things, I love how God has this overarching story and he makes promises and he fulfills them in ways that are surprising, in ways that are miraculous, in ways that only he could get credit and glory. And that's what he's done here. So what are we to do in the face of this this morning? Here it is. A very simple takeaway. Receive and rejoice in God's sign of favor and protection given to us through Jesus, the child born of a virgin. Receive and rejoice. Listen, our story is not that much different from the story of Judah and the story of Ahaz. We're born into spiritual trouble. There are enemies not only all around us, but in us who seek to destroy us and carry us away. There's the enemy of sin. There's the enemy of death. There's, there's the enemy of, of the devil and his demonic forces, right? They're all encamped around us, threatening to defeat us, just like Syria and Israel did to Judah. We're a broken people. We live in a broken world. It's all, as one theologian might say, jacked up. <laughs> we toe up from the flow up, right? I mean, as far as it goes, it's bad. And we're so prone like Ahaz to try to find our hope in everything but God. Aren't you tempted to do that? To try to find your hope in everything but God? We look to political alliances just like Ahaz does here. We look to the Democrats or the Republicans or to the Supreme Court or the House or Senate or the White House or, or the, 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 the government in Jackson. We get all fired up and we get hopeful that that's where greatness will be regained. Or that's where we'll find hope and change. That's where it's going to come from. Beloved, I have news for you. Joe Biden or Donald Trump, neither one of them died for you. Mike Johnson didn't die for you. Chuck Schumer didn't die for you. John Roberts didn't die for you. The democratic platform is not the revealed will of God to save this world. <laughs> You're saying, duh, right? <laughs> I mean, one could argue that might be the devil's platform uh, to kill the world, but nevertheless. But neither is the Republican platform. That is not God's revealed will either, to save the world. Politics will not save us. I, I, it really doesn't matter who the candidate is. Politics will not save us. In fact, we're not going to get into it this morning, but we could. We could go straight to the book of Revelation, and you're going to see it's actually the government in the Antichrist at the end of the age who will come after us. The government will turn against us and will try to devour us at the end of the age. So, so make no mistake, 
Ahaz was looking for a political savior and we as human beings, as Americans, we look for a political savior oftentimes, but in the end, politics is not the answer. So where else do we try to find hope? Well, we usually try to find it in ourselves also, right? Don't put hope in yourself either, right? So many people have it in their heads that if they'll just only be good enough, that they'll be all right with God. But I want to say to you this morning, if it was possible for you to save yourself, God would have never, ever, ever sent Jesus to be born of that virgin. Never would have sent Jesus to be born of that virgin. You are absolutely impotent to save yourself, just like Ahaz was. And just like God did with Ahaz, he's calling out to you and me. Put your trust in God. Put your hope in God. Rest in God's might, God's provision. And God says to you and me, just ask for a sign to prove that I'll do what I promise to do. Ask anything, he says to us. As deep as Sheol and as high as heaven, I'll give you a sign, he says. And God in his grace, even though you and I have all said, God, we'll do it our way, he's given us a sign. Even if you don't want a sign, here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin conceived Jesus in her womb, gave birth to him, and he would grow to live the life of moral perfection we can't live, and to, to die the death that we deserve on that cross, and with three days later rise from the dead Mary's true virginity at Jesus' conception and birth is the sign that God will save us and that he will make good on his promise to save us from every enemy so I say to you this morning beloved don't be like Ahaz and ignore the sign this Christmas Receive and rejoice in God's sign of favor and protection given to us through Jesus, the promised child born of a virgin. Are you looking for a sign? Here's your sign. Isaiah 7, Matthew 1, Luke 1. Again, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Receive and rejoice. Here's my final prayer this morning. May you know the joy of salvation through Jesus this Christmas.